This is Reverend Kirk Lawton, minister at Ocean Lakes Family Campground, and this is our podcast. Our prayer is that this message may enrich your life as you find God especially meaningful to you. Thank you for worshiping with us. Someone has said there's a real difference between the art of making a living and the art of knowing how to live. In 1923, a very important meeting was held at the Edgewater Beach Hotel in Chicago. Attending this meeting were nine of the world's most successful businessmen. Charles Schwab, a leader in the steel industry. Samuel Insull, president of the nation's largest utility company. Howard Hobson, president of the largest gas company. Arthur Cotton, the greatest wheat speculator. Richard Whitney, president of the New York Stock Exchange, Albert Fall, member of the president's cabinet, Leon Frazier, president of the Bank of International Settlements, Jesse Livermore, a big businessman on Wall Street, and finally Ivor Kruger, who was the head of the nation's most popular, powerful monopoly. 25 years later, we look again at these same men. Charles Schwab had died in bankruptcy, having lived on borrowed money for five years before his death. Samuel Insull had died, a fugitive from justice, penniless in a foreign land. Howard Hobson had lost his mind. Arthur Cotton had died overseas, insolvent. Richard Whitney had spent time in a federal penitentiary. Albert Fall had been pardoned so that he could die at home. And Jesse Livermore, Leon Frazier, and Ivor Kruger all had died by taking their own lives. These men all learned the hard way that a man's life does not consist in the abundance of the things that he possesses. Those who have ever traveled to a foreign country can readily tell us that God has abundantly blessed us by allowing us to live in a land wherein we can enjoy countless blessings and luxuries that we so often take for granted. But one does not have to go abroad to see that there are deep problems that exist within our own people right here in America. In spite of all our abundant blessings, there's something wrong with us. We can look about us and see that people seem more troubled inside, unhappier than they've ever been before. H.G. Weld, a famous historian and philosopher, said when he was only 61 years old, I have no peace. All of life is at the end of its tether. The poet Lord Byron said when he was only 36 years of age, my days are in the yellow leaf. The flowers and fruits of love are gone. The worm, the canker, and the grief are mine alone. Ralph Barton, one of the top cartoonists of his day, left this note pinned to his pillow before he took his own life. Here's what he wrote. I've had few difficulties, many friends, great success. I've gone from wife to wife, from house to house, visited great countries of the world, but I'm fed up with invest, inventing devices to fill up 24 hours of a day. Well, you wouldn't have to look around you very far to find homes with deep-seated marital and family problems. Husbands and fathers have heavy loads on their shoulders with tremendous business worries. 
Wives and mothers face increasing pressures from many sides to meet the demands upon their time and energy. Young people today face demands, temptations, pressures that many of us who attended school many, many years ago have never dreamed of. Older youth who have not made their choices of a vocation face a constant pressure of trying to know what they're to do with their lives, what vocation they should enter. People of every description and category are forced to shoulder problems and burdens, many of which are known only to themselves and to God. You've heard the remark, we all have our problems. Never a truer statement was made. A recent research survey was made of the problems in one average church congregation. It was found that in a church that has a membership of about 500 adults, representing really a cross-section of the American population, there were plenty of problems. In such a congregation, approximately 25 have been hospitalized for major mental illness in the past. 24 are alcoholics. Another 50 are severely handicapped by neurotic conflicts, and another 150 by moderate neurotic symptoms. That's out of a congregation of 500 adults. To the question, have you ever felt that you were going to have a nervous breakdown, 115 people would have said yes. If the married people in the congregation were asked to rate the degree of happiness in their marriage, less than half of them would rate it as being very happy. Now, don't forget that all these problems I've just mentioned exist within the average church congregation. So when we look around and try to find where there's real peace and true happiness, there are those who assume that the church is the place where there should be 100% peace and fellowship, no problems at all. But alas, such is not the case. In every church, there are many people who have deep-seated problems and burdens. And the larger the church gets, the more there are burdens, griefs, and heartaches, troubles in the lives of the members of that church. I'm sure that there are more than just a few people who are listening to my voice right now who are having to face some real problem in your daily life, a problem that's not known to many people. Well, I'm happy this morning that I'm able to announce that I have the answer to the problem you're facing. Notice carefully what I did not say. I did not say I am the answer. <laughs> Rather, I said I have the answer. I don't want to oversimplify the problem or the answer, but I do wish uh, to throw out some spiritual advice, not just a cliché. But I'm afraid that we preachers so often walk around all the truth that needs to be proclaimed plainly. And that's the truth that was expressed in a slogan which was used many, many years ago. Christ is the answer. <coughs> now, that may not sound intelligent enough or deep enough for you. So if you want this same truth couched in more sophisticated words, let me share with you the statement of Pascal a French physicist and a philosopher. He said, There's a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of every man which cannot be filled by any created thing, but only by God, the Creator, made known through Jesus Christ. 
St. Augustine said years ago, Thou hast made us for thyself, O God, and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in thee. Occasionally people say to, to me such things as what I would do if I were a preacher. They say things like, boy, I'd let them have it. I'd call a spade a spade. If the shoe fits, let them wear it. I'd flail away and let the chips fall where they may. A good dose of fire and brimstone is what people need these days. Somebody else says, as for me, I believe in being perfectly and brutally frank. You've heard statements like these, haven't you? I know people think, hear me preach and they say, well, you're not a fire and help and brimstone preacher. And that's true. The problem with that line of thinking is that these people seem to overlook the fact that much of the flock of the shepherd is at any given time footsore and weary. There are always many who have been recently bereaved, who are trying desperately to find courage and strength to go on. There are always those who are sick in body or or anxious because of the sickness of loved ones. There are always those in the congregation who are trying to live a Christian life in the middle of a non-Christian environment. There are always those who are beset with daily problems in life. There are always those who are struggling with doubt and fear and guilt and frustration, temptation and even failure. And there are always those who cannot communicate with members of their own family. There are always those who are trying desperately to keep their homes together. There are always those who are fighting a battle with alcohol or some other drug addiction. There are always those who have often considered whether life for them was worthwhile or not and whether it might be better for them just to take their own life. As someone has put it, many people today are living their lives in quiet desperation. And if there's anything these people do not need, it is more condemnation accusation, and rejection. Rather, the need is for understanding, acceptance, communication, hope, and a way out. One of the greatest joys that any preacher ever has is that of standing in a pulpit and preaching the good news that there is a way out. And that way is through Jesus who said, I am the way. The way out that Jesus gives is through acceptance of the fact of sin, turning to Christ for forgiveness, and receiving His promise of new life. Whatever the problem that you face, whatever may be the burden that you're carrying, whatever may be the temptation that you face, Jesus Christ is the answer to it all. He truly is the tie that binds hurt hearts, broken relationships, ruptured family units, shattered dreams, and person to person. One of the great leaders of our country once said, I go to church on Sunday, and so often all I hear is advice on living. But my heart is hungry for spiritual nourishment. And this is the unique message which we as a church have to offer, the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He is the answer to church problems, personal problems, family problems, business problems, community problems, national problems, even international and worldwide problems. Jesus really is the answer. 
Paul said to the Corinthians that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. Almost everybody knows John 3.16, but the very next verse says that God sent his, not, his son not into the world not to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Yes, there is a time when a preacher needs to stomp on people's toes. I'll admit that. Let's also remember that the greatest need of sheep is to have a shepherd. Jesus can meet that heartfelt need, whatever it may be. He can give you new insight into how to cope with situations that may seem entirely hope, hopeless to you right now. Jesus can give you a new perspective on life, which will enable you to meet every challenge that you face with a new optimism, new spirit of power, he puts within you a new look at what before may have seemed to be quite hopeless in your life. I want to give you two contrasting examples of how people can look at life. A veterinarian employed by the federal government of, as a food inspector has the responsibility to inspect 75,000 chickens every week as they're processed through a poultry company. Some time ago, he made an interesting comment. He said, I have never seen a good chicken. And then he explained what he meant by saying that startling statement. Through the years of inspecting millions of chickens, it has become necessary for him to train his eye to see only the bad chickens, the ones that should be rejected. Training the eye to see only the bad is permissible for food inspectors. But if we're not careful, then we too can fall into the habit of training our eyes to see only the bad, the ugly, the evil, and everything around us. In contrast to this story, uh, Garland Chapman, the principal of a high school in Midland, Texas, tells about an experience he had as a grade school principal. These are his words. Little second grade boy started out the morning by falling from the school bus hitting his head on the concrete, requiring three stitches to close the gash. Recess proved a bit of a problem for him also, as he and another little boy ran together. <laughs> Result, two of the little boy's teeth were loosened. He had a fat blood blister on his, lap, on his lip. During the afternoon, he fell and broke his arm. Mr. Chapman, uh, the principal, decided that he would take the boy home after getting his arm set at the hospital so that nothing more could happen to the little boy that day. As they were riding together to the hospital, the principal noticed the little guy clutching something in his hand. What do you have in your hand? The principal asked. A quarter, answered the little boy. Where'd you get it? Mr. Chapman asked. I found it on the playground just before I broke my arm, explained the little fellow. And then he smiled, and with an excited voice, the little boy said, You know, Mr. Chapman, I've never found a quarter before. This is my lucky day. <laughs> so much is dependent not on how the day looks at us, but how we look at the day. Every day has its own share of problems. But when we know that God has his hand on our lives, then we can know that the wonder of wonders that thrills my soul is to know that God loves me. Then we will have his power to cope with whatever may come our way. 
simply to know intellectually that Jesus is the tie that binds up broken hearts and dreams and relationships, other situations, that's not enough just to know that intellectually. We have to put it into practice, what we know with our minds. Some folks express it very simply in terms like this. There's a throne in your life. If you're sitting on that throne, your ego, yourself, not Christ, on that throne, then there's friction and trouble in your life that's going to remain there as long as you are on that throne. But when you get yourself off of that throne and put Christ there in that chair, then your life is controlled by an all-loving, infinite God who gives you peace, harmony, and real happiness through His Son, Jesus Christ. And so are you tired of your storm-tossed life your problems, unhappiness, and getting along with others, even living with yourself? Can it be that you've never really surrendered yourself to His good and perfect will? There's no better day than today. There's no better time than right now. Oh God, we thank you that you loved us so much that you were in your Son Jesus, reconciling the world to yourself. Thank you for sending your son who loved us and gave himself for us. And the one who is by us every day, let him be on the throne of our lives is our prayer, which we make in his name. Amen.